0: Okay, so we find in the Torah the following um, statement. Uh, and it's going to open up a discussion, I hope, that uh, uh, is very far-reaching. Uh, and that's the idea of free will. So we find it's mentioned several times. Uh, the one time in the Torah, it's, it's blatantly, it's, it's, it's uh, uh, clearly talked about is, is in Deuteronomy. And Moses is, the book of Deuteronomy is essentially Moses' last will and testament to the Jewish people. He's about to die, and he's preparing them. They're about to go into Israel. He's about to die on the eastern bank of the Jordan River. And he's trying to prepare the nation for what's life going to be when they get to Israel, when he's dead, and the relationship that they have with the Almighty in the desert, in the wilderness, is essentially going to cease. Till then, they're drinking water out of rocks. They're having their manna being parachuted down from heaven. They have Moses, who has a direct communication link with the Almighty. That's all about to end. And he gives them the following sentence. He says, Behold, I am giving before you the life and the good and the death and the evil, and you should choose life. Uh, and this is the one place in the Torah where it's explicitly mentioned that there's options. You know, you have the, the red pill, the blue pill, right? <laughs> or the, uh, you, you have life and good, and you have death and bad, uh, and you should choose life. And this is used by, uh, by uh, our sages to demonstrate that this is a, a mitzvah in the Torah to make choices and to make choices that are uh, presented uh, before us. And we have to choose. We're going to choose the good and the life or the death and evil. And we're instructed to choose life, which seems to be the right choice, right? Uh, so that's the one time the Torah that, to- that, it, that, it does, that it does mention this. Um, but it's heavily implied throughout the rest of the Torah, obviously, because the Torah is always talking about, about choices that we ought to make.
1: It has death and evil together. I mean, Would you make not, the quote again? They're not necessarily
0: yeah, the same. Okay, so I, this is just my loose translation. Okay. Um, but it's, I've just tried to the word for it. Behold, I am giving before you, or I'm placing before you, the life and the good, the death and the evil, and then it, uh, then it says you should choose
1: life.
0: Uh, and then we find in the Talmud, the the following statement uh, which says all is in the hands of heaven aside from fear of heaven everything is in god's hands besides for fearing god and then we find elsewhere that everything is in heaven besides for coughs and sniffles which kind of is uh problematic but let's hold off on that thought uh, but either way we're told that everything is in the hands of heaven besides for fear of heaven and we know fear of heaven means choices right when someone fear of heaven is the idea of someone choosing something, or choosing to, let's say, do something or to not do something because of God. Right? If someone chooses to do something that's to do a mitzvah, um, only based on the existence of God, well, then they're doing something based on a fear of heaven, right? And if someone withholds from doing something wrong because it's wrong, and because you know that's the wrong thing to do, well, it's essentially a, a fulfillment of fear of heaven as well. Uh, Thus, the idea of everything that happens to us being in our hands and not in God's hands is once again demonstrated over here. Uh, Now, I wanted to kind of open the discussion with a callback to uh, previous uh, discussions that we've had over here. Uh, When we uh, talked about uh, the first series that we talked about over here was was about God. Kind of like what 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 is the Jewish philosophy on on theology and purpose and the philosophy that uh, develops from establishing the idea of God? Uh, and we asked a very fundamental question. Uh, let's assume God exists. Let's take that assumption for granted. Okay, that implies uh, necessarily that there's some sort of purpose in life or in humanity, right? Uh, that. That's a clear assumption. Why? Because if God exists, clearly there's some sort of enormous intelligence that's able to create you know, the human brain. I was having a discussion with an uh, with a, with a, uh, optometrist or ophthalmologist, I don't know which one, one of the two, eye doctor, on Friday night. I said to him, why, when someone is blind, can't we just uh, transplant uh, some, uh, you know, some optic nerves and let them see again? All you need is just the optic nerve. So he said, yeah, essentially, theoretically, you could do that. You might have to just connect billions and billions and billions of nerves, and that's it's, – it's just it's so infinitely complex. So yes, you know, the eyeball itself is just like a you – know, that's one standalone – and we have doctors here, I felt like, you know, that's a standalone organ. You just swap it out and swap it, and you're good to go. But if the optic nerve, which is the nerve that connects the eye to the brain, if that's a severed or there's something wrong with that – Right, Theoretically, you might be able to do it, but we're not anywhere near the capability of, of doing that because of the infinite complexity of, of the hardware being discussed.
2: So a hard transplant, which can be done and is done, that's not as complex as... A... Oh, yeah, that's a few pipes, yeah. essentially, right? Yeah. It's,
0: it's, it's a few pipes. Um, either way, but God made that, you know? Clearly, we're talking about intelligence that's beyond what we could even conceive. Uh, and if you know, if God would do something as grandiose as the universe and Earth and humanity and the 8.7 million different species that grace this planet, clearly there has to be some sort of purpose. And that's kind of taking it to philosophy 2.0, where once we establish the idea of God, that implies, heavily implies, that there must be some sort of purpose. And that's a whole other question that we have to ask is okay, let's assume God does exist. Well, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for humanity? What does it mean for the universe? Clearly, now something has to happen. There has to be some sort of ultimate purpose or universal purpose, because otherwise, then we know that this great intelligence would not do something as, uh, as big or as massive and stale uh, as creating the universe. So, that's a question that's, that's grappled a lot uh, in Jewish philosophy. And we found that there's basically two streams of thought in answering this question. Right? And once again, the question is, why did God create the universe? Not, we're taking for granted that God did, and does indeed exist, and therefore we imply that there is some purpose. What's that purpose? Uh, so, um, position number one is that God indeed was lacking, and God was lacking the fact that God could not give. pre-universe, so, well, it's just God, right? If you want to, you know, we'll talk about this in the scientific terms. So, pre-Big Bang. So, what existed? You know, there was, not, well, nothing. There was no time. There was no space, there's no space. There's no matter, really, essentially. What's the Jets just God. And there's nothing else to bestow goodness to. So, even though God essentially, fundamentally, on his own accord, is not lacking anything, there is nothing to give to others. There's no other entities to be to be receptacles of God's goodness. So there's no arena where God could be good, so to speak. Therefore, God creates the universe in order to have uh, creatures or creations onto whom God can bestow goodness.
3: What was the initial plan when He created the world? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Well, that that will be the answer. That's, that, that's
0: that's exactly what we're talking about. That he created it in order to, in order to create in order to create receptacles of his goodness. Now, let, let, let me f- flesh that out a little bit. Now, okay, so just give us the goodness. You know, you look around the world, you see a lot of a lot of a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of tragedy. We had a tragic story in 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 the Torch family. This past week where one of our students, you know, he studies with a rabbi every week, and he comes to events, and he is an avid cyclist, uh, and, uh, and he had a tragic accident, and he passed away, you know, just Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday morning. You know, he was the fittest 65-year-old you'll ever meet. He did 40, 40, 40, he did 40 or 50 uh, miles a day. And he, you know, he hit a log in the middle of what's called, and he fell on his head, and he died. It's a tragedy. You know, life is full of those events, uh, and maybe not as, you know, as, you know, as devastating as something like that. But you know, life is full of these kind of events. So the question is, okay, well, if where's all the goodness? Now we could argue, well, there's a lot of goodness. You know, we have, we have, we have, <coughs> you know, we have relationships, and we have life, and we have ideas, and we have creativity, and we have food, and we have a lot of good things as well. Uh, but overall, we see a lot of tragedy as well. You know, so where is the goodness, and why is it just not infused to everyone? Why are we just not on like uh, on acid highs just all the time, just feeling fantastic? Uh, so uh, this theory continues that God wanted to do good, uh, but God wanted to do the ultimate good—a right? uh, a good lacking nothing—and. Uh, uh, and if God were to just give us the goodness without us earning it, then we'll, it would be considered a bread of shame. This is the bread of, the famous bread of shame uh, concept in Judaism. Whereas, you know, if you just get gifted something, if you don't earn it, you don't enjoy you don't, you know, you don't, you don't appreciate You're, it as much.
1: You feel guilty.
0: Yeah, it doesn't feel that. good. Uh, <laughs> so therefore, God created this entire, the Almighty created this, this, you know, this entire structure wherein humans can achieve the goodness provided that they earn it. Now, how do we earn the goodness? Via free will. By
1: following
0: God's command. But by by using which tool? By using free will. will. Thus, humans are at the center of, uh, of, of the purpose, of God's purpose, because we are the ones that have the capacity to do free will. We'll get that a little bit later on. It's only humans that are capable of that. And by exercising our free will, we enable ourselves to uh, be worthy of, of receiving God's goodness, thus fulfilling the purpose of the universe. So, but the point that I wanted to bring here I you know this, this, this is essentially this is a big topic, there's a lot of different moving parts here. But the point I want to bring is that according to this uh, position in the purpose of the world and why God created everything, which is a you know, pretty heavy weighted question. The answer essentially lies in man choosing to do good and thus enabling them to be receptacle of God's goodness. Uh, thus, so what I want to point out is that free will is at the core of the purpose of, of existence, according to this theory. Now, this the other theory as to why God created the world uh, is that God also was lacking. What was God lacking in the fact that there was no independent verification of his dominion, Now, even though pre-the world, before that Big Bang, God was in complete control, however, there was no one independently verifying that. Now, God creates humans. Humans have the capacity, you know, as born out in their free will, to choose to accept the existence of God or to reject it. You know, a lot of people in the world have the capability, uh, despite the overwhelming evidence, to uh, reject the idea of God. And that's totally up there, and God allows that
1: why would God care? What? Why would God care that somebody would recognize him or not recognize him?
0: Okay, why so, was
4: that necessary to him
0: or whatever? So, 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 okay, so this is a, this is a tricky question because uh, this is the kind of uh, pretzel questions that uh, frequently happen in these conversations. So you're saying that why God would care is a very hard question for us to answer because we don't know why God does things. But but okay, I'm not trying to weasel out of your answering your question. What I'm saying is that the re, the the reality of God's kingdom before he or God's dominion or God's control or however you want to uh, um, uh, phrase it that changes when there's no uh, possibility for rejecting that. Right? That that much is, that much we can all agree upon, right? The fact that humans can't either attest to the existence of God or reject that, which is, by the way, linked to the whole tikkun olam, the world's broken because humans reject God. Uh, that uh, is, can fundamentally change with the creation. You're asking why? That's a very good question. i Am I going to try to? Uh, um, I'm, I'm, it's a good question, like, because, but it, it essentially is an unanswerable question because we don't know why God does things. You know. Or why God, from his perspective. I,
2: I thought, Rabbi, you said earlier. Okay. From his perspective as
0: opposed to from our perspective. Well, what is
2: from his perspective that you said earlier one of the reasons is uh, before um, creation there was no receptacle for God's goodness? Well, I'm,
0: I'm, the, I'm saying there's two there's two parallel, I would argue, uh, philosophies into answering this question. Okay. I mean, you could have asked the same question on the first, on the first theory. Well, why would God want to do good? We don't know why God would want to do good, but we knew we know that God can do good once once, once humanity uh, is in existence. Talking about faith. Well, well, no, I'm saying it's you're asking a question from God's perspective, right? And this is this is a subtle point, and now we're going through it kind of quickly because we have a lot to cover today. But there's a subtle point in saying that when we try to look at the world from God's view, we have a very hard time actually understanding things, or you know, because we don't know what God from His perspective. You know, we can look at God and try to, you know, try to theorize from our perspective. Thus, from our perspective, we do indeed see that now that humans exist post-creation, uh, well, now there's a receptacle for good. Well, why would God want that? That's, that's your question. That's a good question. We don't know why God would want that. But, but that reality does exist. Similarly, you know, does God need us to stroke his ego? You, you know? Maybe. I don't <laughs> that's, that's, well, I mean, what if yeah, what but he did, seems, if
1: he didn't create the universe, yeah, then what? What is he there for? He, he has to have his but purpose. That's, also. No,
0: but that—that's once again <laughs> the, the, the idea of the idea of this uh, parallel realities uh, means that the rules don't apply necessarily, uh, you know, the same you know the same rules that apply to us. We—the fact that we exist, right? That is because we have a purpose, because we at one point didn't exist. Your question is only valid if God at one point didn't exist, which is not true, because well, it's the creation it. of the yeah. yeah. definition yeah. of God. Right.
1: But I mean, if he had all this power and didn't use it, what did he need all this power for?
0: It's like, it's, it, you know, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> but that's once again assuming that the power was granted, yeah. which is uh, a rejection <coughs> of the idea of God.
1: Then you have to say who, yeah,
2: all that. Yeah. Right,
0: so that's, oh, who created God? Well, no one yeah. created God, right? You know, so we're trying to apply the rules for us. Yes. The same rules that apply defi- for us.
2: Wasn't God, by definition, he just always was, right?
0: That's right. So, what happened before that? Well, nothing happened before. that. There was no time even before that. Uh, well, why does God need something? That that that's you know that's a question on uh, that's a question. Can it only be asked if that was gifted or granted or bestowed to him, which it wasn't? Which is well, these are the hard things for us to, to wrap our heads around. Yeah, because
3: most religions try to. Make
0: So we want to try to use the terms that we're familiar with.
3: Right.
0: Right. Do, we under, do you understand the idea of God existing outside of time? Does that, is that something we should understand, that God exists today as much as he exists in 1952 and 2052? Is that an idea that you're comfortable with? No, because how could you exist in, in multiple time points at the same time? Do you have an answer to that? No. Okay, so, we, so, so the rules don't necessarily apply. It's a different paradigm. Uh, and therefore, the you know the fact of you know what was what was life like before God—that's that's not a question that is a, you know is a real question. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, either way, uh, the point that I wanted to bring here is that uh, that uh, also, according to the second position in purpose for existence, uh, free will pay, uh, plays a big part because our free will choices in accepting God or rejecting God uh, that contributes towards fulfillment of the purpose. So essentially, either way, whichever approach you want to take in understanding the purpose of existence uh, from the Jewish perspective, uh, free will is at the core of what we do to complete that purpose. So this um, kind of should uh, help us you know, maybe see this, the scope of, of, of free will and how it plays a part in our life, uh, but not only in our life, essentially in the existence of all of humanity and all of existence. Uh, that's point number one. Point number two, uh, we mentioned this uh, briefly, but free will is a, is a uniquely human quality. Uh, and it's a defining, a fundamental, and essential human quality. Uh, we're all familiar with the verse in Genesis that man is treated in the image of God. Was mm-hmm. you familiar with that? Uh, now, if you accept the idea of God, you reject the idea of any image for God,
3: mm-hmm.
0: right? So do we look like God? No. <laughs> what
3: is the Hebrew word for
0: image? selam. It's Selem elotim. And does it literally mean reflection? What is, what does
3: it Yeah, mean? image
0: of God is a good translation. Um, so what does that mean? We're all familiar with that. So it means there's something there's something special about humans. You know that if you just even read Genesis, uh, perfunctory reading of Genesis would make it very clear that there's something very, very unique and special about Adam. You know, and the fact that for example uh, Adam was the only one that was created as a single entity. Adam is the last one that's created uh, after everything else is done. Uh, and we, you know, God blows into his nostrils. What does that even mean? You know? uh, but man is created sort in of the image of God. What does that mean? You know, like we're told that man is special. Or humanity is something very special about humanity. And then we find the statement that he's in the image of God. We share some sort of parallel with God, which is a striking thought. You know, we, we said God doesn't play by the same rules, doesn't exist under the same uh, framework as we do, yet we're creating the image of God. Uh, so um, um, we're told uh, by many, many, many sources, this is proved, this entire book proving this point, that the fact that man is creating the image of God, that means that man has free will like God. That there is only... Uh, two entities that are capable of free will God and man not angels not animals man and God are the only two entities that can do that so
2: that's what image means in that context yes it's not Yes, <clears throat> man looks like God
0: no it, it means that man's essential quality is similar to God okay. now the question that I hope you'll ask me is wait a minute my dog likes vanilla ice cream and absolutely hates tuna fish. Right? So that's a choice as well. So what do we mean when we talk about free will and free will choices and the fact that only humans have it and nothing else have it? And what angels? What do you mean? Angels are, are super powerful and awesome entities and hacker, they don't have it. You know, they're way more spiritual than humans are. But they didn't incarnate into human
3: form.
0: They didn't incarnate or they... You know, they take no human form. What does that mean? They take no human form. So what about humans uh, makes us capable of free will? God gives us free will. Well, when he
2: breathes
3: into us, we become God
0: like. Yeah, but angels are also godlike. They're super spiritual.
3: They don't take human but, form. But God
0: doesn't even take no human form, right? We know that. We're
3: not talking about God. We're talking about
0: angels. Okay. Uh, they aren't created. That's true but humans are even lower than angels on the spiritual totem pole. We were
3: created
4: A- Angels don't have free will because in their realm God's presence is visible and known. Correct. You know, we because God is hidden then so those the, that pr- that provides the opportunity plus we have bodies that need food and sleep and all these other things and angels
2: the angels only do what God
3: tells them to
2: do. The po- yeah, the,
3: the angels, angels don't have they don't, they don't have, have any choice,
0: they're just yeah. they're just spiritual beings they're just yeah. like messengers and all of them. uh so um to uh follow up on this point uh, yeah so human is unique that they have free will uh yet we're less spiritual than the angels um we were, a we're of earth and heaven Booyah, exactly the hebrew word for uh, for for man is adam right and we know that in Hebrew, the etymology of the word, uh, the word, a word underscores its meaning. So if you're able to understand the word, the, 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 the root of the word, it might, it might shed light on the actual meaning of the word, and the function of the word. Uh, so the word Adam, man, the Talmud asks the question, what does the word man mean? What does Adam mean? And it gives two answers. It says, Adam is either Adama, which means earth, very physical, very sedentary, not very special or unique. Um, in fact, you, if you inter a human body into the earth, it kind of, after a few years, becomes indistinguishable. Mm-hmm. Uh, on one hand. And then we're Adame, which means to be similar. And the concept is similar to God. Man is half earth and half God, essentially. Or similar to God, not, not God. don't is similar to God. Right? Uh, and uh, we are this uh, fusion of, on one hand, we have the soul the godly soul that's blowed into our nostrils. Right, we're, we're like an angel a little bit on our soul side, uh, yet we're like an animal on our body side. And these two opposites are, are kind of married together, fused together, even though they don't seem to be very harmonious uh, because they're they're essentially opposites. It's like taking the two opposite sides of a magnet and just forcing them together and just binding them together. In fact, the Talmud says, essentially a Midrash, that every single second that a soul is, 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 uh, is encapsulated in a body and wants to leave our soul wants to leave what happens when your soul leaves your body? you die, you're dead uh, so every second our soul wants to commit suicide which is, which is insane uh, and suicide is against Torah law uh, and our soul should know better but our soul wants to commit suicide because the pain of being in a human body for a soul is so um, unbearing that it wants to just leave. It's as if you, you take the most precious, holy, uh, uh, special, unique element, totally spiritual, and you put it into an, essentially an animal. Our, our body is an animal. Like someone mentioned, we have instincts, uh, we're driven by, uh, by temptation. You know? uh, our body wants us to, to not think about these big world questions and not kind of question about life and purpose and meaning. You It know, wants us to have, to, you know, to have pleasure and have physical pleasure. That's what our body wants, no different than an animal. Yet, we have this other whole side of us where we want to ponder about life. We want to ask uh, existential questions. We want to try to find meaning in life. We want to do good. We want to live for a purpose. We want to be special. We want to be remembered. We want, we want to have a legacy. Like These are things that are not animalistic yet we all are familiar with those, with those emotions or those thoughts. You know, we're able to think about things that are beyond our uh, you know, life and you know, our, our perspective and our consciousness. We're able to just ponder about the cosmos and think about you know, God or think about ideas and think about the history and think about what's going to be after we die. These are uniquely human qualities and they're a result of the fact that we have a soul as well. You know, if we ignore our soul entirely, well, they were no different than animals. And, in fact, we're kind of pretty weak animals because, you know, we can't really run that fast. We don't climb trees that well. We don't survive so much uh, uh, in, in, in really bad or extreme temperatures. Like our bodies, if you just isolate our bodies and, you know, if we live like animals, we would be, you know, pretty weak animals. Easy prey. <laughs> uh, you know, but we have our intelligence and so we have our human side that makes us, you know, very capable of, of kind of being above animals. You know, because we have something different, something special. We have our intelligence, we have our soul. Uh, this tension, this friction, this, this, this conflict is essentially where our free will lies. Our free will lies in this reality where we have uh, opposing worldviews dominating us, essentially. You know, fundamentally, we're composed of opposite uh, agendas, our soul has an agenda, our body has an agenda, and both of them essentially are harbored within ourselves. And like we talked about, you know, we want to leave a legacy, we want to have a purpose, yeah, but we want to also just sit on the couch and watch TV all day. You know? but, but those things are in conflict. You know, we all want to do to. We want to relax. We want to just uh, veg out, as they say. Uh, we want to just eat a lot of really unhealthy food because it tastes good. You know? But we want to be healthy and live a long life and see our, see our grandkids. You know. How, how is it possible that we're so conflicted well we're conflicted because we have different motivators and opposing motivators within ourselves and that creates a conflict and that's where we need to choose we have to choose on in a on the individual action level like what am I, am I going to do something that is good for me short term what my body wants or something long- term what my soul wants uh, on an individual action also on a life path you know, what, what life path am I going to choose? Am I going to kind of delay gratification, which is a uniquely human – only a human can do that. Only a human could say no to small pleasure now in order of hopes of big pleasure eight years down the line after I get my uh, – you know, after I finish medical school. Right? That, that's a uniquely human thing because that is channeling the power of the soul. That is a free will choice where someone is opting on a big picture, on a life path to do something that's more meaningful – that's a greater purpose. That's a bigger payout, but it's delayed gratification. It's a lot of hard work till I get there. Right? These are examples of a human choosing to be a human, right? A human actually doing something that is not what their body wants. That's not what an animal would choose, but they're doing it because they have this. You know, physiologically, they're composed of a soul, and that's and they're following the soul's agenda. Thus, the free will choice of life and good and death and bad is choosing between these different motivators that we all have and we have to make these decisions. Am I going to choose what my body wants, what my Yitzhara wants, my evil inclination wants, or what my soul wants, what my Yitzha tov wants, right? which is more meaningful but is usually more work. I want to say one more, one more point here before uh, we kind of dig a little bit deeper here. Well, two more points. Uh, now, I mentioned this already earlier, so I'll just quickly uh, scurry through it. Um, Torah, how does Torah fit into this model? We mentioned uh, from the Book of the Chinuch, the Book of Education, which is a 13th century book which uh, enumerates all 613 mitzvahs and gives a little flavor behind it. Uh, And he writes in his introduction that the purpose of Torah is to empower the soul. I mean, We think of the Torah as being the purpose. What he's saying is that the Torah is to help us in making these free will choices. I mean, this uh, this uh, uh, conflict, uh, this uh, decision decision making process that we have to go through every day of our lives, that is the goal. That is what defines success and failure of a human in life. The Torah is the tool that helps us to empower our soul. On one hand, right to you know to. To, to, to focus on the intellectual aspects of the Torah, to sharpen our mind, to talk about the spiritual aspects of the Torah, to hone our soul. But also, look, you read the Torah, it talks about how you have to limit your body and say no to your inclination. And you know, you want to eat this, but you can't. You, know, you want to do this with Shabbat, but you can't. Right? All these things that you can't do, but all of them are directed at limiting, inhibiting the body. Thus. On both ends of this equation, it's going to help us empower one side and weaken the other side, and thus making our, 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 our ultimate goal or you know, the hopes of us choosing life and choosing good more, more likely to happen. Uh, but also, additionally, I want, I want to just kind of get a little bit more granular uh, on this point. Um, we find a verse in Genesis uh, where it says as follows, Behold, man has become like the unique one among us. Sorry, so it looks slower. Behold, man has become a, a, like the unique one among us, knowing good and bad. Once again, we see that's this dichotomy of good versus bad, uh, and it's a uniquely human. It's it's God. Man is man is special, and he's like God, that he knows good and bad. Uh, and Rashi, the great uh, French medieval commentator, right, the number one commentator in all of Torah, and all of Talmud. <laughs> And all of the Jewish Bible and everything, basically, uh, he says as follows: He says, "This is the unique quality of man. This is what makes man special. What's that? Differentiate
1: good from evil,
0: or the choice." Right. Well, I thought it means to me. I thought the answer would be that we have the ability to choose. Well, he takes it a step earlier: to perceive the good and the bad. Just the mere knowledge of that there's something good and there's something bad. That's uniquely human. He takes it a step earlier: the ability to choose good and bad. That's predicated on the realization that there is good and bad, and animals can't do that. Right? We know, we know that there's there's good and there's bad. So however you want to, however you want it, whatever whatever particular free will conflict you have, you you could know if you freeze out and zoom out of the zoom out of the uh, the scenario, you'll know. Well, what's the good side? What's the bad side? Go ahead.
2: Yeah. So maybe sure. they can't sure. think the way we sure. but a dog that is say vicious <clears throat> by nature or that, that say bites mm-hmm. versus one that's always licking you. Mm-hmm. Isn't there some sort of thought process there? Is there some sort of judgment?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, I would
2: maybe evolutionary.
0: No, the uh, the argument that I would make is that well you see children as well. Children are not capable of this kind of free will choices. Uh, yet a kid who acts bad and you say, don't do that, you know, or you warn them or however whatever parenting methods you like to use, uh, but you say, oh, if you do really well, you get a candy, you know. Um, or whatever whatever motivated you do, you see that they're sometimes torn between these kind of conflicts as well. Uh, but yet we know they don't have a yet, to; so their soul is not developed, essentially. Um, they're almost entirely dominated by their body and by, you know. But I would make the argument that that is more of a – sometimes that that, that there could be a free will choice. Well, I don't like to call it free will because I like to reserve that for a more higher uh, decision-making. But it's essentially what's going to give me the most pleasure. It's more of like a – it's more of like the same –
2: So a dog that likes to lick is following its instinct. No, it means
0: uh, dogs, dogs, animals, animal emotionally, animals are no different than humans. This is another important point. The fact that you see an animal grieving or the animal protecting its young, that doesn't mean that that, that it's, that it's, that that, that's it. no one ever argued that that's a human, that's a uniquely human uh, quality. Um, And the fact that an animal wants pleasure, that everyone agrees, right? Like, 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 a body wants pleasure, like our body, you know, we want pleasure. And when you have to choose if you want to eat this or that, well, you're also making a choice, but it's not a choice that involves these two uh, uh, elementary elements of, of, of who you are. It's not you're not you're not pitting the soul against the body. You're pitting the body against the body, essentially. You know, do I want chocolate? I count on the mood of that. But I, or I want vanilla. You know, uh, do I want to bite someone? But then I'll be uh, uh, you know I'll be castigated by my master, or or I I'll, I'll withhold them that, and then he'll he'll tap me on my back, and I'll feel good. You know, that's a choice. But it's not a choice that's involving. Uh, two separate, opposite, uh, um, divergent elements of, of their entity, of their existence. Now, I, I want to say one more point that makes it a little clearer. Um, I might have mentioned this, but I don't think I mentioned it over here. Uh, a hunger strike. I might have mentioned it, yeah? We, we, we went through this argument. Uh, uh, so yes, uh hunger strike. Hunter strike is now okay. You'll say the fact that an, if, if an animal is upset over the loss of one of its young of, of its children and doesn't eat for a couple of days, that's not a hunter strike. A hunter strike is what Nathan Sharansky did in the '80s, where he went 120 days without eating food, and every two days they would sho- they would take a pipe and shove it down his esophagus and pour this like protein mix down his throat. That's a hunter strike, right? And that is something that only a human can do. Why? Because a human is essentially making a choice to say to stand up for what they believe in, stand up for their soul, even if it mean, even if it's if it's entirely in opposition to what their body wants. The body wants uh, food; it cares about survival, almost above all else. And therefore, the body is pining for food. And it wants to survive. And the soul is able to say no. We're going to go against that because we want to make a statement. Right? That's something that's not possible. That's an example of a body and a soul, both having uh, a desire for a certain outcome. And the body really, really, really wants the food, and it's being presented to you right there on you know, the silver platter, and you're saying, "No, I don't want that." You know, because I'm choosing what my soul wants, what my kind of higher existence wants, that an animal is not incapable of, because it doesn't have that other. it doesn't have a soul. You know, we don't give an animal a bark mitzvah. Uh, sorry, the uh, conversation has devolved. I apologize.
4: Uh,
0: so, so you know, because it doesn't have doesn't have that same reality, it doesn't have those two opposing realities. The fact that it can choose to do one one uh, position over the other doesn't mean that it has a soul. Uh, but getting back to this, Raj. Rashi tells us that uh, so man is like us to know good and bad. To me, this was an incredible insight that I had over the weekend. I always thought that man is different than animals; that man can make choices. It turns out that it's you know even more elementary than that, even more even more basic than that. The mere knowledge of the existence of good and bad is something that animals don't have. And I was thinking to even to extend this a little further that you know a sense of morality just recognition of there is good and there is bad, I would argue can only be possible if we can act upon that. You know, if Let's assume we're pre-programmed. We're just following, you know, we're just tracing in the lines. We're just doing what we are designed to do. Well, then we shouldn't have any feelings towards it being good or bad. It's just what we're doing. The fact that we recognize that something is good versus something is bad that essentially proves that we can choose to do good or bad, which to me is an incredible deep deep insight. Like that's a profound idea. The mere recognition of good and bad—that is what differentiates us from animals. Us from animals, because that is essentially uh, uh, proof or evidence that we can choose good or bad. So I would argue that if someone if someone can have the conceptualization of that there is good and there is bad. They have to agree that we're not pre-programmed to, you know, to just act. Because if we were, well, then how can we view something as good or bad? It's just what we're doing or what we're not doing. Which is, to me, it was a startling insight. And that's what that's what Rashi's saying. Rashi's saying, as opposed to animals, why are we different? What's unique about us? What's the, what's the defining characteristic of man? Perhaps it's this idea: we could recognize good and bad, and that's it. And, and once we recognize that, of course, we can act upon that. Uh, if we so choose.
1: So, when in infancy or youngster, when is that present? Is there a way that you know you just keep feeding the, the infant, and they grow up and they don't have any experiences or anything like that? They're not going to.
0: I would make the play. argument that it's possible for someone to live their entire lives mm-hmm. and never actually tap into this tremendous power. Mm-hmm. It means if you, if you're if if if, the, if these ideas are never. Part of your purview, right? If you never encounter them, if you don't, if you don't develop the sensitivity of the soul, so to speak, you know, that, you know, that's a job as parents to talk about, you know, doing what's good. You know, as a parent, you're telling a child, Why don't you share with your friend?" A child does not want to share with a friend, you know, but you're opening up, you know, you a, know, a, a thought in their mind. You're, you're, you're planting a seed uh, that hopefully will develop that that is going to. You know, expose our salt.
1: Well, it reminds me there's this condition, marasmus, you know the word? Where there's no stimulation. It's like in these orphanages, like Romania, Russia, no stimulation and they just die. Even though they're fed and all that, they, they, there's no interaction with other people. They just frizz, you know, they just die.
0: They're, they're like robots, essentially.
1: Yeah. But I mean, the little kids actually no Wow. So it's M-O-R-A-S-M-U-S. It's as
0: if like their souls just check out, we're done. Yeah,
1: well, if you're dealing with mean, you know, I, I didn't learn it about it as a soul. But
4: <laughs> no, but in this yeah, context,
0: yeah. if the soul is not nourished at all, right. it's yeah, yeah. it just says, okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm done.
4: <laughs> I have a question if you're going to address it later. Don't worry about it, but is the, uh, where I'm not clear on, is the, um, is the evil inclination and the good inclination the same as the body and the soul, or is that s- separate?
0: Uh, so I think that um, the body and the, and the evil inclination are aligned, uh, and the soul and the good inclination are aligned as well. Uh, however, uh, I think that the, uh, the, the distinction is that an inclination is not something which is essential to who you are. You are not your evil inclination, okay. right? You have an evil inclination, just like you have a nice shirt, something you have it 's yours, and it it contributes to trying to you know compel you to do one thing, but it 's not okay. who you are. man is body and soul fused together that's that 's what, what that 's essentially the the hardware so to speak uh, now you also have other influences as well
4: because it sounds like if we did not have an evil inclination that our soul would dominate that 's why that was necessary
0: yeah and this, this is leading into next thing want to talk about but okay. um how exactly this model... What's the, what's the model of, of, of the body versus the soul and the, and the evil inclination? And how does the evil inclination kind of level the playing field? Okay. Uh, okay, so we find uh, a, a Mishnah in the book of the Chapters of the Fathers. Chapters of the Fathers is a... about 2,000-year-old compendium of, of ethics. Uh, and it'll give like a very... you know It'll give like a one line... Uh, of, of an idea, but it's you know it has a lot it has a lot um, you know there's a lot of insight incorporated behind this uh, these ideas. So I'm gonna read you what it says here. Um, this is from Ben Azai Ben Azai was this remarkable scholar who had this bravado. It's, you because know, when you read the Talmud, you read the dialogue that they had. You know, he said um, famously, he's like, "There's no scholar that can rival me, besides for that bald guy." And Rebbe was that bald guy. you know. But he says, besides for this bald guy, no one else to touch me. Uh, remarkable. And he was the one, by the way, who said, uh, he was talking about the importance of procreation. Uh, and one opinion says, if someone doesn't procreate, it's as if they murdered. So important to procreate. And another opinion says, if someone doesn't procreate, it's as if they're diminishing from the glory of God. Comes along by Azai says, if someone doesn't procreate, it's as if they, they murder and they diminish the glory of God. And someone says to them, <coughs> me Benazai. you're not married you're not procreating so you're essentially not practicing what you're preaching so he says to them, what can I do my heart desires Torah and Torah alone and the was the point out that he actually was married but he couldn't handle it and he just he, <laughs> he, he got divorced and you know he and that's Benazai you know that that's the character uh, and he says as follows: run to do a small mitzvah like a big mitzvah, and run away from a sin. Why? Because a mitzvah drags another mitzvah, begets another mitzvah, and a sin begets another sin. The reward for one mitzvah is another mitzvah, and the reward for one sin is another sin. So there's obviously a lot to unpack here. Uh, But it starts off with the following statement. You run, chase after a minor mitzvah, like a major mitzvah, and run away from a sin. Run away from a sin. Now, what does this imply? Chase after a small mitzvah, like a big mitzvah. Don't say, ah, it's a small mitzvah, it's a minor mitzvah, I'm not going to chase it. Only chase the big ones. No, chase even a small one, like a big one, but run away. Flee from a sin. What does that tell us? It's
4: about habits. Building habits. What? Building, Building habits.
1: Okay. It
3: tells me that that there's not a, a hierarchy but
0: the, but it kind of does say it says that there's a minor mitzvah and there's a major mitzvah. It does say that, right? But it says you shouldn't make that choices.
2: Minor mitzvah.
0: Oh, what else can we deduce? I'll say it again: chase after a minor mitzvah like a major mitzvah, and run away from a sin. Anybody has any other insights?
3: That's a minor mitzvah. A way, let's assume. I mean, another lady coming, another man coming, or who can't, is disabled I open the door. To me that's a because it's the right thing to do.
0: It's, so we, we would argue door. that's a that's a minor mitzvah, that's not so hard but to but
3: do. And that's how a
0: mitzvah gets another mitzvah. Okay, there's something. There's something else here. 90, uh, chase after a minor mitzvah. No, run after it. What does that imply? That it's running away from you. You got to chase it down. And run away from a sin. What does that imply? It's chasing you. What it's telling us is. That the odds are against us, right? <laughs> the odds are was heavily stacked against us.
2: The body is going one way, the soul's going another.
0: The, the mitzvah is fleeing from us. We have to chase it down, right. and the sin is chasing after us. Who is more dominant in the soul body uh, uh, paradigm? Sin. Our body.
1: Big yeah, time. Yeah, right.
0: We are being compelled to sin in a much greater frequency. Uh, and then we are compelled to do a mitzvah. Now when we say sin a mitzvah, we mean follow our body, follow our instinct. Doesn't
2: the Torah say that? Doesn't it say the proclivity of man is evil from his youth or something it says like
3: the,
0: that? Um, yes. The way of a young heart is toward evil or something along those
3: lines.
0: Uh, the so inclination that. of man is evil from his youth. Right. That's in the uh, beginning of Genesis, yes, not all the beginning, like 10th chapter. Right, so what it's telling us is that the sin is chasing us. Our body is just dominant. We feel it instantly, like when you when you when you're, uh, you know, when you want to, like we said, when you want to follow the agenda of your body, you feel it. We're, we're we're connected. We're linked on a sensory level to our to our body. We don't feel our soul. You know, we have to chase after it. We have to try to find meaning, but it's not here and present and now and available and, and you know right there. You know and, and alarming and striking and and tangible for us uh yet our you know and and, you know so how is that fear you know where's the free will where's the free choice Uh, where's the balance where's the parity when we have this this model where the sin is chasing us you know we're more much more likely if we if we stand stationary you know we don't do anything what's going to happen we'll sin we'll follow our body and we won't follow our soul is that right you know, if the body is chasing us and the soul's running away from us, well, then if we do nothing, right, we'll 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 just stay in the same place. And you know, what will happen? The, the, the sin will overtake us, and the mitzvah will flee further further away from us. Essentially, it's telling us if we do nothing, our body is in control. Our body is dominant. Our soul is uh, is uh, um, is recessive. Is recessive the right word, or is uh, less dominant? <laughs> ephemeral, <laughs> ephemeral, <laughs> <laughs> right? That's the reality. Now, why would that be? Is that fear? Which seems like it should be equal. It you know, if it it seems like the either both of them chasing us, both of them fleeing from us, and then we'll both choose: we want to chase the good, we want to chase the bad. So I think that this is this is this is the point that Dan, that Dan that Dan uh, brought up. It feels a lot, the 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 pleasure of doing what's right, uh, if we were driven the same way to chase good and bad, or both of them were chasing us either way, everyone would opt to do good. It's good, you know, and we know it's good. We already established that. We know it's good, right? We realize it's good. And if they were equally attainable, then we would all just choose good. And then, once again, there's no free will. So the free will balance is, is that the good is harder, but it's good, and the payout is much greater. But the bad or the body is is much easier to choose and there and it's you know it's much more tempting, that's why well, the temptation is much greater, uh, but the payout is weaker. And that's why we want to choose good, but it's hard. And and, and therefore there's parity. So essentially it's 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 it, 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 you know, that's how I would argue the relationship of the Yetzera and the tove versus the soul and body. You know, if it was just soul and body, well everyone would choose soul.
1: Simple. Fighting Satan. How's I mean, that? The same, Car, Car, You have the, the good, and you have Satan on the other side fighting. You know, you're saying Satan is the body.
0: Okay, and, let's assume that. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just a
1: similar thing. And then the, the soul, or the you know, doing good is the other
2: the other side, and they're always in conflict. But the same isn't that more? Yeah, because that gets in. I don't know if that's relevant to this, but maybe it is. I mean, isn't that more the Christian? Yes, yeah. yeah, so
0: that's why I did, anytime I say the word Satan, we think of Christians. Yeah, uh, yeah, but I did. Right, it but is it's a, a, right, evil is a Jewish concept of
2: Satanism. Right,
0: right, but it doesn't exactly, it's, it's very different. I mean, the idea of any entity existing outside of the scope or the power or the dominion of God, that's, a, that's, that's not a Jewish idea. Uh, but with the idea, the Jewish of Satan, which once again, like all of, or like many of the ideas that the Christians have uh, was plagiarized uh, from the Jews, you know, we preceded them. So the fact that we have anything called Satan and they do doesn't mean that we copied them.
2: They copied us. It, it didn't matter. I wasn't
1: saying. That yeah. So yeah, others. but
0: the role of the Satan, Similar. the role of Satan is that's that's the uh, the angel. The adversary. That's the adversary. That's right. The angel so that's that's not a, going to compel man to sin, but going to.
2: So there is a being. Satan is in Jewish thought an angel.
0: Yes. Uh, so it's it's an angel that's doing the will of God. That's right.
2: That, that an angel what? that did
0: what? That does the will of God, and
2: does the evil will
0: of God. No, no, not the. E- the
2: accuser?
0: Uh, yes, it's, it's it's evil. It's just it's just uh, it's it's a, it's a kind of almost an almost a natural result of this of this reality that our actions have to have consequences. There has, to, in order for there to be meaning in life, we we'll got this a little bit later so on as well. The, I'm just what?
2: trying to understand the, the contrast between the Christian. Is it, yes, so yes. In Christianity, Satan. His own independent entity? As if like there's a
0: good good God and bad God, you know? Yeah. Uh, In in, in the Jewish faith, there's only one power. All power is consolidated in God's hands. Okay. Now, the idea of an angel is essentially a spiritual force that fulfills God's will. So God wants to tell Abraham, uh, I want to heal you. He sends an angel called Angel Raphael who heals God. Oh, he heals, heals, sorry, Abraham. heals Abraham. I apologize for that. Uh, now, there's this uh, angel or force called the Yetzirah evil inclination that God gives man to try to compel him to follow the body's agenda. Now, there there's another element of that angel where is that angel essentially takes the result of the free will choices and presents it in a portfolio of, of man's successes and failures to God and is the argument the, the arguer or the accuser to try to highlight the misdeeds of man and there's a third element of that called the angel of death which is in charge of extracting man's soul uh, when their time has come well, these are all angels that are commanded by God to fulfill certain functions no power on their own that's right
3: so
2: uh, without I just I just really want to nail this down but but, so the Christians believe that God is more powerful than than Satan but Satan is his own independent entity he's not getting his power from God or
3: his his whatever we've already established he's an angel right so there is no I'm sorry we've already established Satan Satan as an angel that's right so he has no choice no net
0: that's right no, not, 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 uh, on but, his own has no value but again, but only they, exists because God yes the Christians, the Christians
2: that God created Satan? means
0: the idea of like worshipping Satan that's a Christian idea where you want to like worship this other power on its own entity uh, that's the evil power so to speak either way I'm not such an expert in Christian theology but that's the idea yeah oh,
3: so I hate to jump into this Uh is, is there hell do you believe there's hell
0: once again another idea another topic where there is a Jewish version we call Kenem, which is vastly different than the Christian hell or purgatory whatever you want to call it so yes I do believe that's your question
3: so is that angel in charge of hell
0: uh, no
3: in
2: the Jewish philosophy
0: no no and what hell is is vastly different from what the Christians say. It's not this eternal damnation. Uh, it's it's a certain cleansing process. Actually good a good place to end up in, you in redeem yourself. Uh, redeem, we don't like to use the word redeem, but uh uh pur- purify, or like purgatory. purify. Purify so cleanse so it's not
2: a bad place. It's actually a
0: very, very good place to end up.
2: It's
4: like purgatory or something where you're getting ready to
2: go. Yeah,
0: to yeah. Camp. You take us it's it's a it's it's like you, you know, cleanse. It's it's a cleanse. It's, uh, well, it's a shower. We, we did, we did the, yes. It uh, sounds
4: like the, the soul going through a power washer yes, <laughs> before uh, you actually go into uh, uh, in.
0: If you want to hear more about it, uh, <laughs> go to exactly. uh, go to my website, <laughs> RabbiWalby.com. Uh, at my website, RabbiWalby.com, I think I gave at least two uh, classes on this yeah. topic. I uh, know I gave one here. What happens after you die? I think is how I titled it. Uh, go through all this in great detail. What happens after you die? Very interesting. Um uh, all, all of that I know not from personal uh, experience. Uh, either way, so that, that, is,
4: that is what we're talking about next time to some degree the resurrection, Messianic era. Oh, that, is that, that was on my next week? Yeah. Okay, so then come back so next we're gonna, week. Yeah, we're going to hit that. Stay tuned. Yes.
0: Okay. I got to prepare for that. <laughs> okay, so let's, let, let, let's kind of, uh, I want to broaden the, the discussion here. So we kind of have uh, some definitions, working definitions of what free will is what kind of role it plays in our lives in the lives, in essentially the purpose for humanity um, how the, the, the inner relationship of, of the body and the soul and the Yitzvah and the and how in order to create parity uh, or just capability of free choice the body has to be dominant um, in Judaism we say, so we, we essentially establish that everything is really about free choice everything is about free choice Uh, And you know the question that you would have is okay, so if if all of the universe was really about you know free choice, and it's only humans are capable of free choice, not animals, not angels. Well, why do animals exist? Why do angels exist? You know, why do we have such a such a diverse universe uh, with so much? Just have humans. Let us make free will choices, and that's it. Mazel tov. Why does that have to be so much more? At least you know from our perspective, there's a lot more. We said 8.7 million. Uh, which is, by the way, as an estimate. It's the, the, the lowest estimate I saw is 1.25 million species, and the biggest estimate is 8.7. That's a lot of species, right? You know we're, we're, you know, we're humans, relatively minor, I guess. You know, we, we're just one of the many, many, many species out there. So why create all of that? And why create all the cosmos? Why create everything? Just create humans and put us in, a, in an arena and let us slug it out with free choice decisions. So essentially, we're saying... So this is the answer. The answer is, is that everything is designed, everything is either a human making free will choices or creating opportunities for free will choices. Everything. So when we look up at the, you know, at the, at the sky, we see the cosmos, we get an insight into the, you know, the grandiosity of, of the universe, that creates a free will choice. We see animals. You see an animal that's just designed in such a wonderful way to fend off predators. And no other animal seemingly has this capability. Well, you could choose to say, use this as a way of recognition of God. You could use this for what your soul wants to use it. You know, you could ignore it, and then you just check another box on the body's agenda, right? Everything that you encounter is a free will choice, right? This table, it could be used for what we're using it for—to talk about Torah, talk about ideas. That's well, that's that. You know, this is a fulfillment of this table's kind of purpose. In it, we're making a free will choice to choose to have a soul based agenda conversation about it. You know, over it. We could use it for something else. We could use it to talk about gossip. uh, Or to talk bad about someone else. Or to, I don't know, any one of them, you know, we just use it to ignore life. and Just sit and put food in it and just frolic away. You know? We we right then that's what our body probably wants us to ignore the bigger questions in life, you know, but everything essentially is that, so like think about that everything that you your car your house your your everything is designed to create as many opportunities for free will as possible number one, number two, let's assume we didn't have free will and i, I, I get this a little I, I I grappled with how to structure this uh class or discussion because there's a lot of different uh avenues to approach this topic. Uh, Up till last night, like at two in the morning, I was going to talk about this first, because a lot of people really question free will. I don't know if anyone here does, but it's um, uh, one of the uh, opinions of people that I hold in high esteem uh, is that, uh, that free will or rejection of the reality of free will is the last frontier of heresy. Uh, because essentially, when someone says there's no free will, they're essentially rejecting God. It's it's a, it's, a, it's an element of, of rejection of faith. Uh, yet, a lot of people don't believe in free will today. Oh,
3: predestination idea that right? God has oh, we'll get to that.
0: that. <laughs> We're gonna get to that.
3: <laughs> Wilson said, "The devil
1: made me
0: do." That's right. <laughs> yeah. But I want everyone to realize what they're essentially saying if they say that there's no free will. Number one, they're saying that there's no meaning in life. Booyah. There's no what? There no. cannot be meaning in life, right? If, if I'm just a pawn in some bigger picture, right? If I'm just doing what I was programmed to do, well, then I have zero meaning, right? My actions, my success and failure uh, only matter because they're not guaranteed, because they're not assured.
2: Isn't that basically existentialism? that
0: basically what existentialism is? Um Give us the definition of existentialism. Well,
2: it's my understanding. Existentialism is is just, you know, you exist, but there's no purpose there. I are like all nihil- matter, the Maybe like, a, yeah, nihilism. You know, we, we die and become matter. Nihil- nihilism,
0: I think, is but the... There is like the ultimate free will. It's well, it, there's a free will to choose that. But if we but are if not, free
2: will can't change destiny. Of, of we all become oblivion. Uh, or we all yeah, become but that's there but,
0: but what what's the result of that? The result is that we are essentially proclaiming that life has no meaning, which is uh, uh, you know a pretty uh, weighty uh, result, right? You know, if you're going to say that, that okay. be careful when you say that. You have to know what it implies. If you just don't free will, you're essentially saying, okay, it was no free will. Then it's preprogrammed. Preprogrammed. Then there can't be any meaning. The only meaning that we, the purpose that we can have in life is because our actions matter, and if we're pre-programmed, actions don't matter, right? And like I say, we're just floating in the air. We, you know, we're just molecules, and that's, you know, I, I think if you say that, if you if you if you say that our actions, are, if if life is meaningless, there's no purpose. We all kind of feel that there is a purpose, right? We we feel that. We we talked about that. We all have this feeling of of, of a purpose. Now, additionally, I want to say, um, for our discussion, if we, without free wills on Torah, obviously, you know, the Torah is telling us, uh, do this, do that, you know, and if we're compelled, we're drawn, uh, we're influenced in any way to choose a life path, an ideology, or even an action, an isolated action, um, we cannot be commanded to do otherwise. Right? If someone, if someone is, if, if someone is forced to act in a certain way. Then they cannot be told reasonably to act in a different way. Obviously, you know. But I, I mean, that extends obviously beyond to Torah. Any form of instruction, like you want to instruct your children, you know. If they're compelled to act one way, then why are you even wasting your time trying to tell them, uh, you know, act a different way? Obviously, you're trying to influence them, you know, because there is a way to act otherwise. We 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 live free will in our lives as well. Right? You're telling you don't do that. Well, if there's no free will, or if there's, if if our actions are, you know, uh, tailored. Uh, are scripted already, then okay, well, why are we trying to influence anything? You know, just follow along. And we see, you know, we see within ourselves. I'm sure everyone's had this experience. I hope, hopefully, we had this experience where you made a choice and you had a, you changed something in your life. You know, you decided, I want to wake up every day on time and whatever. And you did it, it was hard, it was hard, and it got easier, you know? Or uh, you want to.
1: That could still have been pre programmed. I mean, Yes, yes,
0: yes, but, but yeah, but when you do that, you feel like you're overcoming something.
1: Yeah.
0: And that, that feeling is kind of hard to. Maybe that was also programmed. To. Well,
1: I, that's what you have to say, you know. Well, no, yeah, I, I mean, you're, 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 becoming, you're kind of
0: putting yourself in their corner if you so, reject I mean, if you is, yeah, I mean,
1: there is a way for people to believe that. I mean, people. Right. Know, I'm and sure also,
0: I, I want to say lastly, like morality, just the idea of morality. That is not possible without choice. So when someone's saying there's no free will, they're saying that life has no purpose. There cannot exist any morality. Any form of instruction is pointless. Uh, any character improvement. Right? Becoming a better person. Like We're all sitting here because we want to become better people. We're essentially demonstrating that the free will exists. Right? We're choosing to do this to try to change, try to become better, try to be, you know, become better parents, better friends, better colleagues, better humans, better Jews. You know, that, that's what we're doing. We come back here every week you next week, right? 10 o'clock, Bail's at 9.30. Uh, we are essentially demonstrating that, that, that free will does exist. You know, humanity has a chance. But why is free will so malign? Why are people so hesitant to accept it? How often do you hear about someone uh, coming from a disadvantaged background and that necessarily contributing to their actions, you know? We hear this all the time. You know?
1: <laughs> just put on the TV.
0: Exactly. And what we're being told is that someone's, let's say, crime was guaranteed and they had no other choice. Or they're fighting
4: uh, DNA for certain behaviors and that's the cause of the behaviors that certain.
0: Yeah, but that, that alone, I think, might be true because your DNA is just your body's composition. You know what? Our body is designed to sin. <laughs> You know that, that's that's also true, yeah. But the but the point the point that someone has to sin, the point that someone's compelled to sin or compelled to act in a way that's unrefined or or wrong or immoral or illegal. I, we're being told that all the time. It's, it's a very common narrative, you know. And I was just you know then we have the NBA finals now, yeah. and you know and uh, one of the uh, great athletes, the great players. So he was talking about how the fact that you know his mom uh, bore him when he was when she was eighteen, and he grew up in the most you know the you know the worst neighborhoods and whatever. But he put his life together, and he you know that's an example of free will. And he was maybe perhaps presented with, I guess, great opportunities. He was able to dunk in sixth grade or whatever. <laughs> that probably helps. Uh, but still, you know, it the end result is someone who worked on their character, worked on their, and became, made something out of themselves despite being disadvantaged. Now, I'm not saying that someone who is disadvantaged uh, in their background, clarify, uh, that they're not necessarily at a disadvantage. Of course they are, but the fact that they have no choice in the matter, and there's no way for them to improve their lot, that is a rejection of free will. You have free will, you may not be using it. Right. Like we said, it's possible exactly. to, not, to not use it. And that's, and that's the importance of parenting, I would say.
3: Exactly.
0: Parenting, the best thing you can do to your child is prepare them for life. You know, you if you're not there for village.
3: them. You also have a village. No we all.
0: Yeah, a community. That's right. All, no child, or none of us are raised
3: uh, in, in, uh, in, thank you, in isolation. You're not adopting Hillary anymore. Yeah. <laughs> 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 now, no child, I mean none of us are raised without um, interaction with parents, teachers, community. We're not animals.
0: Yeah, uh, and wild. and that's going to help us, you know, to
3: socialize
0: 100%, 100%. But the idea of this uh, uh of someone being incapable even on their own is much much harder. You you know, the free will mountain you got to climb is much harder if you don't have Parents or a community, you know, or a congregation, or some or a societal uh, uh, kind of assistance in 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 becoming uh, proficient in, in free will, you'll have a harder time. But the, but the fact that you're incapable, that you know, that's that's a narrative we're, we're, that we've heard, but it's not it's not true. And I want to make the argument that if, if someone has, you know, if someone's never experienced it, it's probably harder to accept. Like if you've, if you've never made, if you've never been faced with a dilemma. Uh, or, you know, just you've been in a corner and you finessed your way out of it. Uh, you know, that if you never had that experience, then you don't know maybe on a tangible level that, that you have free will. I think perhaps additionally, you know, if someone, the implications of free will are that someone's actions, you know, they're responsible for it. It's a very disturbing thing. The fact that every single one of my actions is my responsibility, and I have to live with that.
3: Why is
0: that disturbing? I, I think it could be disturbing, you know. And if someone, and it could be liberating to say, "Well, no, I'm not responsible for my actions," and then I don't have to think too much about it. You know, the fact that everything that you do uh, is something that you're going to have to live with and deal with the consequences. Uh, that is a natural uh, implication of free will, and that could be very. Uh, Disturbing or painful or, or disheartening for, for people. For it could be also your motivation as well. Free will choice, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but t- for someone who doesn't want to be burdened with living a life that means something, mm-hmm. it's much easier for them to say it's meaningless mm-hmm. and if I don't have to think about that and don't burden me with that. I, I remember I had a student once. Uh, who made uh, who made the mistake of telling me that they don't that they, that they're atheist? Now the mistake is not that they're atheists; that they told me about it. I, are you okay? Fine. Let's talk about it. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm fine. I'll, let's, let's let's debate the issue. Well, what was his motivation to go into a tour class? Well, he wanted to think he wanted to meet the girls. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: then, you know, going to class, you know what you believe, and if you're going to class for Education, no matter what it is, whether you believe it or not, it's still, you know, it, it's still
0: stimulating. As far right, as but the, but let me finish the, the epilogue of the story. So he tells me, so he so he tells me, okay, fine, let's talk about it. We'll, we'll sit and meet. This is a very important question. You know, uh, maybe the most important question you'll face in your life. Maybe you should spend some time. No, no, I don't want to talk about it. I want to <laughs> think about it. Don't ask until don't pursue. Right? That's what he tells me. You know, he because to him he'd rather not be burdened with these big thoughts. He's like 25, you know.
3: Obviously not married with children.
1: Obviously. But some of these thoughts, I mean, many of these thoughts, there's no answer. At least we're not going to find out the well, answer let's until, discuss until the stuff you know? of the comes around, you
0: know. No, but we, no, we have to do our due diligence. I think there are a lot of answers. You know, but he is someone who's saying, I don't want to be hassled. Because I know, I'll get into this argument with, you know, with the rabbi. You know, he'll trounce me. And then I'll be faced with a life that is a lot more heavy and weighted, and I don't want that. You know, well,
3: maybe that's a good thing. That at that point in his life, that's how he felt, because eventually it's going to change. And because he's had this, he'll now appreciate when he gets to
0: there. Right, but yeah, but it's
3: a path. We don't
1: want maybe maybe your whole life so thinking about the existence the of God.
0: No, but it just, it just comes along with the existence of free will and then implications and then consequences and everything you got to do, you got to think about. Who wants to do that, right? It's painful. And the easier answer is, I don't believe, I'm out, check me out, and I don't want to talk about the story of a drink, you know.
3: It's just a process.
0: I, I hope so. You know, he's a really nice young Israeli Jewish guy and I actually met him. He moved to Miami and I saw him actually last week when I was in Miami, uh, two weeks ago, and... Um, He's like, ah, oh, how you doing? He didn't want to follow up the conversation yet. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. So he's
2: still an
0: atheist. <clears throat> what does it mean to be an atheist? He has evidence that God doesn't exist. He's no, not an atheist. That's
1: what he he claims. Yeah,
0: yeah. He either he's an agnostic or he's yeah. not someone who's investigating the information. It's like, how could you make a stand? How can you make a stand on a, 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 a very uh, broad philosophical issue without ever having discussed it? So he's actually, he, he, he's, he's someone who should not really. Have a say in the matter, <laughs> I would think. Uh, but I, to, to me, that, that behavior, that attitude is someone who says, I don't want to be burdened with that. That's what I wanted to bring out. So this is a very burdensome conversation. And I think that the easier way out is to say, no, we're pre programmed. Their actions are forced. And therefore, we could just do what we want because we're forced to do it. Don't blame us.
1: Yeah. Who oh, rarely uh, had a sick day in their life.
0: That's right. That's right. And I think life does help us at, you know, kind of broaching these yes. subjects.
1: One other thing. Uh, you talk about free will. Yes. Are we talking about conscience? Are they synonymous?
0: I wouldn't say that. Uh, I like to present it as just a conflict. You've been that, avoiding the word. Yeah, conscience. I know.
1: <laughs> Why?
0: Uh, because it's not necessarily um, something that you have to be. Conscious of it's something that you have th- you, you have to th- every free will choice you think you make you're you're aware of I don't I don't think so I think I, that would be probably ideal because if you're aware that you're making a choice you're probably going to make a more informed choice. If we had
1: free will, don't you think that
4: conscience was also planted by God? Of course, so, yeah. of course. Do
0: they uh, yeah, no, I don't think they're synonymous. Well, I think our consciousness is going to be heavily skewed towards our body. Towards our our Yitzhara. because like we said, that what's chasing us and what's running away from us. If 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 this. Okay, so if that's the definition that you're okay, okay
1: with, I'm fine as long I don't as as. Argue, I just don't,
3: I don't... Okay. Are you talking about consciousness in a collective consciousness, or are you talking about an individual consciousness? I'm talking about conscious individual
1: consciousness, your conscious. You're aware There's you're not are we talking something about something inside you that says that
2: is wrong. Yeah, indeed. so that's
1: conscience. Yes. Not conscience. No, in the yeah. south we call it conscience.
2: Okay, yeah. so that's uh, yeah. So yes,
0: I didn't hear that one. word.
3: <laughs> is just, you know, conscience not is being asleep do wrong, yes. but you can still do the wrong thing feel about it, but actually, but that's learned behavior. Yeah,
0: I I I would agree that that would be a that's that's a reflection of the soul. Okay. You know feeling good or feeling bad or not wanting to do something bad because you know it's bad and you feel it's like there's implications. Yes, sorry, I just didn't understand the word that you were Conscience. Okay. Conscience is
3: part
1: of the
0: soul. Okay, so let's get into some of the uh, important questions. Um, this is a question I want to ponder. I don't want really an answer because I think it's, 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 it's a very subtle question. So we have the body, we have the soul, we have the the answer. Now if we were to isolate the soul, if the soul was the only entity making the decisions, well, all the decisions would be soul-based. Is that right? And if we were to just isolate the body, and that was the only decision maker, well, then all the choices would be body-dominated. Seems fairly reasonable. Okay, so now we're human. So what's making the choice?
1: Well, you know, you have these sociopaths paths with people who...
0: Okay, so that's that's fine. But, but true, true. I'm fine with that. But let's say we are making choices. It means, this is creating a third entity. I want to say a third entity, but a, a third reality, which is not a body and not a soul, but a certain a man, a human, which is a fusion of the two, but it's another entity. It's not the body, not the soul. It's something else. It means, man is more than just the sum of body plus soul. It's something else, and that's what makes the decision. Which is, which is a mind-blowing idea. <coughs> what is that? And where do we find it? And, and what's this existence at the point of, <coughs> uh, of fusion of body and soul that has decision-making power? A uh, point to ponder. Uh, point number two, let's have some, some the questions. Synthesis of two. Huh?
1: Synthesis yeah. of yes. two.
0: Yes, yes. But it creates a new reality a new called rea- man. Yes. 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 Uh, so let's start with some questions. Um Question number one: Jacob and Esau. So they are in; uh, they're twins. And uh, if you look at the uh, description of the gestation of Jacob and Esau, uh, it says that the 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 kids or they were battling in utero, uh, and and uh, Rebecca, the mom, went to talk to someone, and he told them, "Oh, you have twins, and one of them is going to be, you know, they'll." be constantly fighting with each other and the younger one will dominate the older one fine. Now Rashi uh, the commentator once again, he opens up um, this, this battle scene that they were struggling and he tells us is that what happened is that every time the, uh, uh, the mother would pass a house of idolatry, Esau would try to struggle to get out and every time they would pass a house of, of Torah study Jacob would try to get out And that caused so much confusion for her. That's what she went. Now, what does this mean? In utero, Jacob is trying to, you know, he's yearning to study Torah to do, you know, to do the good. And Esau is trying to do idolatry, trying to reject God. And lo and behold, they're born. And then Esau goes off to be the murderer, and Jacob is the one who's studying in the house in, in the tent. This seems to imply that even before they're Born and clearly, before that, they even have a Yetzera, before they even have the capability of, of, of choice, they're already chosen, choosing. How is that jive of free will? That's a good question, no? It seems like. But the Yetzera, we're we are told the Yetzera doesn't exist in utero. Neither we know that, that for story, sure.
3: Huh? Neither, neither does that story. It's an analogy.
0: It's an analogy, but what's the. Okay, so you're saying maybe it's 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 some sort of metaphor, but it says that the verse says that she you know that she had this struggle and she felt like every time she passed, you know she 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 felt like she well. It seems like she only thought that she had one child, and she was disturbed by the fact that the child had such polar desires. But either way, now we know that there's you know there's two children. Okay, but how's it fair? That someone is, or how is, how does it work with free will when the one child seems to want good even before they're making this choice in the matter?
2: Are, the, are there anti-Islam overtones to
0: that? Anti-Islam? Yeah,
2: overtones. because it wasn't Esau the father of Islam. No,
0: Esau's no. Esau's the father of uh, father of Edom. Ishmael is the father but of.
2: Ishmael was Esau's offspring, right?
0: No, Ishmael is Esau's
4: uncle. Abraham had Ishmael, then had half uncle.
2: Okay,
4: I stand Yes, um, it means. Yeah. But yeah. to answer your question, does that have something right. to do with? You mentioned how everyone has different proclivities to do things, different challenges, and <laughs> you are sort of born with that.
0: Uh, yeah, but it doesn't seem like uh, it doesn't seem like Jacob had any proclivities, uh, negative proclivities, and did we he don't. F-
3: did
0: have negative proclivities? Well, we, we we assume he did. But it seems like even before – let me give you another example of this problem. Um, We find uh, in the book of Yoma – Yoma is the book that talks about – one of the 63 books of Mishnah talks about what happens in Yom Kippur. So Yom Kippur, we know he's supposed to fast in Yom Kippur, the entire day. Uh, And we find this question that it arises when a woman is is pregnant and she has a certain craving – I mean, she got a fasting on Kipper. Well, of course, if, if there's any danger or anything like that, she doesn't fast. But she's fasting and she's fine. And then suddenly, she gets this massive craving. She wants the pickles and ice cream, right? Uh, and what do we do? You know, we're worried every time a wo- woman's pregnant. She she has a certain craving. We know it's dangerous to withhold that from her. So what do we do? You know, and she's it's as if like the baby is kind of saying, "Give me ice cream." It's he's kind of playing with the wo- with the woman's mind, uh, and. What do we do? It's Yom Kippur. She can't eat, but she really needs to eat. So, so the Talmud says that what they used to do was what well, they would go, they would they would go and they would whisper into the woman's ear that today is Yom Kippur. And the hope was that the baby, so to speak, would be conned by that. Would be mollified. Fine. And the Talmud reads two stories. There was one time that there was this woman, Yom Kippur, she was pregnant, and uh, she had this craving for a certain food. And they went, and they whispered into ears from Kippur, and the baby calmed down. And the rabbis was all excited, and they quoted the verse of the baby that we know that this kid is going to be a righteous kid. And it turns out that that baby was one of the great rabbis. Fantastic. And then additionally, it happened, with another kid, uh, and... Same thing happened, and they whispered to the mother in the ear, and the kid did not relax, and she had to break the, her fast in Yom Kippur. And the the, the rabbit said, "Oh, zur Rachem, They quoted another verse says, "Oh, the kid's gonna be a wicked kid," and he turned out to be this famous thug. <laughs> That's it. what? <laughs> a famous uh, thug. I said, I "Cry." Yeah, he was a famous guy who would rob people, whatever. They quoted his name. This is the book of Yoma. If you want to read it, it's an eighty-two B and eighty-three A.
4: Yes, but on the other hand, that kid was set up from the moment his birth. People were telling him he was going
3: to be miserable, Exactly, so the kid became miserable. miserable. Yes, not programmed. Sure. Yes, <laughs>
0: it's kind of like when you tell a kid he, they they are that's what they'll end up being. Yes. Yeah, uh, maybe that's a good that's a good theory, uh, or maybe this was a kid that was designated, designed, and programmed to be righteous, and they're always programmed to. be to be, and that doesn't seem to jive well with free will.
3: Or maybe, yeah. this happened
1: 2,000 times, and in these two situations, it turned out that way, they said, okay, right. see? <laughs> yes.
0: So maybe, so you're trying to answer the question, but I think the question is, maybe you're right, but it, we don't know, it means you, you're hypothetically saying, well, maybe, maybe, you're spitballing ideas, you know, yeah. but maybe not, you know, we don't know about that.
2: How does this, because this seems like kind of what we're getting into about not jiving with free will or whatever, but um, hormonal things or chemical things. Like, if someone is mentally ill, uh, severely mentally ill, um, and they do evil, uh, can it be said that they have free will? I mean, or no. I would, no. I, I would argue
0: not. No, I would argue not. They're they're not uh, capable of, of of choice. I think that's a fair S- argument.
2: Okay, so. Analogizing it to what we were just talking about, the pregnant woman, okay? You know, if the hormones are doing something, she doesn't have free will either, does she? If the hormones are such to where.
0: It seems like from this time, of, <clears throat> we're not talking about the woman, we're talking about the, we're talking about the, the, the child. Which is bizarre. Child's not making but if any decisions you say now. The woman's how but can the child. Well, the woman's craving, but it's a result of the baby, right?
2: Well, I understand, but but I mean, it's also her whole. It's not just the baby; it's her too. Isn't
0: it? <clears throat> maybe that's an interesting point. That maybe you know she maybe so somebody. So maybe the mind. argument would be: Well, the mom didn't get mollified, uh, and she was the mom with this kid, and that you know he had poor parenting, and maybe that these are all. I think these are all. Uh, these are all uh, nice ideas. <laughs> No, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not rejecting them at all. Um, but I want to introduce an, uh, like a, maybe a, an alternative idea, um, and that is kind of uh, the the point of contention. So the body and the soul they have conflict. Uh, what's the conflict? So let's say someone grew up in that disadvantaged neighborhood, right? Uh, to them, they're not thinking about you know trying to save humanity. You know, it's not really what their soul really is arguing. You know, I would perhaps even say that maybe if someone is going to be a, a criminal, right? Let's, let's assume someone is a criminal. Do they not have free will? Maybe the point of contention where their body and soul meet is if you're going to do a crime, are you also going to shoot the guy or are you going to try to get away and not shoot the guy? Mm-hmm. means the good is trying to do good but there's a limitation in where you could be at the you know in the spectrum of good versus evil. And your perhaps you know your point of contention is different than everyone else's. Everyone wherever they're holding, wherever their body and soul meet, kind of like you think of it like 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 a battlefront, you know. All of us I would I would I you know I would argue uh, are not at the point uh, in our lives where if someone cuts us off or someone says something not nice to us, we're going to pull a weapon on them, right? I would make that assumption. Why? Because we're that's not that's not a free will choice for us, you know. Because we're not at the point where we even consider doing something like that. There are other people I, I we know that would be at that point, but for us, that is like a guaranteed good, you know. Just like you'll you'll always do that good because that's. Your free will choice is more advanced than that. For us, it would be maybe uh, to do something extra nice uh, to our spouse versus maybe, you know, take out the garbage. It's a schlep. It's smelly, you know, or leave it to the wife to do, you know. It's good to take it out and do something good for someone else, you know, but our body says, ah, oh, I'm tired. We'll do tomorrow or, ah, eh, let her take care of it, you know. That's maybe a, that, that, that's maybe a more advanced choice that we would have. Uh, but the battlefront kind of moves as per our choices. Why is that? So let's go back to the uh, the early mission. I'll, I'll recap it. I think I didn't explain it so well here. We talk about, uh, the, the you know, chase a good mitzvah, a minor mitzvah, eat like a major mitzvah, and run away from sin, right? Why? One mitzvah drags another mitzvah, and the reward of a mitzvah is another mitzvah. What does this mean? So we're at a certain point in the spectrum of good and evil where our body and our soul meet. That's kind of the point of contention, the point of conflict. When someone overcomes their body, overcomes the temptation, does what's good even though it's hard, it becomes easier to do that again. You know, we talk about waking up in the morning, early in the morning. That's what's good. You know? I mean, you, you know, or you could snooze and wake up late. You know? That's what your body wants. Just, just another half hour of sleep. That's what your body wants. Your soul wants to get up. You do it a few times, that becomes easy, it becomes a habit. Why? Because you push the frontier of conflict to a higher level, so to speak. And whatever you captured, so to speak, is guaranteed. That's not negotiable anymore. That's not even it's not, it's not a challenge for you. The challenge is not something else. Does that make, does that make sense at all what I'm saying?
4: You're constantly being challenged to a greater and greater level.
0: Hopefully. So, the, so or 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 it's the opposite. If you give in, if your body overcomes, if you sin, so to speak, then that sin becomes even harder to overcome the next time, and it's some you know that becomes almost guaranteed territory of, of you know of your body and the and the frontier regresses. You're losing your 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 good side is losing territory. So I would say perhaps that everyone essentially has free will. The question is, at one point of the totem pole, are you on? You know, and the hope is that, you know, even though you may start off at a lower rung, that doesn't mean that your free will choices are not great achievements. So ironically, someone could commit a crime, and that could be what their soul wants, because the soul wants them to commit maybe a less heinous crime than what their body would want them to do. And to them, that's a minor victory for the for the soul. You know, which is, it's ironic, obviously, but, but 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 you know, but and that would progress them a little bit closer towards the good side and further away from, from, from the absolute So I would maybe argue that perhaps Esau, indeed, was disadvantaged. You know, he had a, a propensity towards sin. But does that mean that his potential for greatness was any less than that of, of, of Jacob on their own individual scale? No. That's, for example, Maimonides. Well, Maimonides has a whole, an entire chapter dedicated to, these, to, the, to, to, to free will. And he is the first to really deal with the question – well, not, not the first, but he's uh, – he has a, 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 a response to the famous question that we're all going to – we're all thinking about. You know, how does God – the interrelationship of God's foreknowledge, destiny, you know, so to speak, versus our capacity for choice. He addresses that in this in this fifth chapter of the, book, uh, of the of the laws of repentance, which is in the book of Mada, which is the first of the fourteen books of the Mishnah Torah. But he says in the beginning, he talks about free will. He says every man, every single human, to be Jewish, do not be Jewish, can be as great as Moses, the greatest man that ever lived. Now we know that really every every man can't really be like Moses. Because we can't be prophets. Right? Where Judaism is a non-profit organization nowadays.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat>
0: we can't be prophets. We cannot be as great as Moses. How can we be like Moses? Mamanus himself writes we can't be like Moses in prophecy. How is it possible that every single human could be as great as Moses? You can be not
2: will be right.
0: Can. Via, via... Because we all
3: have... But how can we be as
0: great as Moses? How can we be as great as Moses? By, by, yeah, by, we, by, we have we have a soul. Moses is a soul. So by, what? By
2: our soul prevailing more than the body to the degree that Moses is doing. free will. Moses
3: wasn't perfect. So right? he was. true, Moses true. true.
0: Uh, that's right. That's absolutely Moses. correct. But I think there's, there's you know there's you know there's a qualitative and quantitative. Uh, uh, I guess uh, structure to this. Moses became was greater than, than any man that ever lived. We'll never reach that, uh, but he maximized his free will choices, and he succeeded one after another. Uh, the sum total of that was a greatness that we can't even imagine. Our free will choices are a much lower. We start at a much lower run, much 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 smaller capacity for greatness. However, us too, like if we were to maximize our free will opportunities. We would, we could potentially, potentially maximize our potential. Right? We all have a finite potential. Moses' finite potential is much greater than ours, but we too have a finite potential. And if we were to maximize that, we're as great as Moses because we accomplish as much as we can, just like Moses accomplished as much as he can, could have. But that, but that's a reflection of where we are at the starting point. If at the starting point, you know, if if someone could potentially. Uh, Accomplished 20 notches of greatness in their lives, and we start at point minus 175. You know, the maximum for us, Moses' level for us, is minus 155. Yeah, and that's for us, we're, we're as great as Moses. But you look at the guy, the guy's a sinner all day and all night. And he, But he's as, he's as great as Moses. Because maybe for them, at their, that, their point of contention where the free will. Uh, uh, conflict exists where the body and soul meet was at a point that was so deeply in the heartland of sin that to them greatness means to sin you know to sin less and Moses started off at maybe 10,000 and he reached 1,020. which is maybe the greatest number total sum that anyone has ever had you know we do find stories about baby Moses that are astonishing you know he was a prophet like in utero was like insane you know uh, but he maximized his potential as well. So yes, Moses is greater than us, because Moses does maximize his potential. Well,
2: and the idea, I think, is, is that we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be quote-unquote Moses, and we're certainly not ever going to be God. That's but true. <laughs> by striving for perfection, you get closer to it, even though you'll never get there, but by having the
3: target.
0: But I, I think more than that, our greatness is on an individualized scale. Yeah. Where we came from and where we could get is, you know, th- those are fixed realities. None of us are going to reach levels of Moses. However, the way we're actually measured is individually uh, on a relative scale, like you mentioned. Uh, where you were at the starting point and what you did with whatever cards you were dealt with, you know. So Esau was dealt with poor cards, you know. And, but he could have become as great as Moses as well, you know. Jacob got the uh, pocket aces, right? You know, he, he was dealt fantastic cards, and he did, he did greatness with that. You know, but doesn't mean that Ace, Esau could not have achieved the same level of greatness uh, on his relative scale that his brother did, or that Moses did,
4: or that any one of us can do. So we're not graded on a bell curve, which is worse to my advantage.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh, obviously on an absolute scale, on an absolute level, none of us could reach Moses, of course not. Moses like has the conversation with God like that's beyond we can't even think about that you know that's that's insane for us.
3: Wouldn't you say that environmental factors influence? Since they both came from the same parents or raised the same way, wouldn't they both have been started off at the same
0: point? Yes, but you as parents, any parent that has two children knows that even though yeah the kids grow up in the same family and they have the same the same pa- parentage, but still they're different. Their inclinations are different. Yeah, so, so maybe similar. Plan- you know, I, 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 my two oldest, my two sons. So I have two, I have three sons, but um, and a daughter. Um, but my oldest son, we saw from day one. You know, we saw that he had a certain tendency towards sharing, towards giving to other people. Like he would suffer when other people would suffer. Like he had a certain uh, quality of empathy and kindness that was almost natural. Uh, and his younger brother, just. From day one, you know, had didn't have that necessarily. Uh, Much more territorial,
3: right? If you're guiding the second child in the right direction to be like the brother,
0: yes. So we 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 have. Yeah, but the but the second child has has qualities that the first child does not have.
3: Exactly. We all have ups and downs, but if you're raised in the yes. So
0: the hope the the hope would be that the the same environment
3: boys would end up yes at a good.
0: That's right. So the question is, Revival well, how is it possible that Jacob and Esau were raised?
1: Would
0: be so yes, maybe you they started off differently, but they also ended up ended uh, vastly in uh, vastly different places. Right. Uh, but yeah, but everything goes towards contributing to who we are, like our our just reality and our circumstances, our parents, our society, our school, our you know. Our
3: free will.
0: But our, but also we do play a part with our free will as well. Um, so, th- so that's, uh, that's that up, uh, and now, uh, now for the feature presentation. <laughs> uh, the question that I think uh, was is inevitable when you have this conversation, uh, and it's a very, it's a very good question, it's a very troubling question, uh, and um, it's something that invariably we're, we're going to discuss, and that is the question of the two. Presuppositions that we have that don't seem to be possible to coexist, and that is the idea of God knowing everything even before it happens. Thus, God knows if I will be righteous or I'll be wicked, if I'll choose good or choose bad, already before I choose it, uh, ch- uh, before I choose it. Yet I have the free will to choose it, and I can cho- and, and I can essentially choose either way. Uh, The way Maimonides phrases this, Perhaps you will ask, but the Almighty knows everything that will happen before it even happens. The Almighty knows if this person will be righteous or wicked. And if the Almighty knows that person will be righteous, it's impossible for them to be wicked. And if the Almighty uh, knows that he'll be righteous, but it's possible for him to be wicked, then the Almighty doesn't know really. So this is this is a this is a, this is like this is the question. We have this understanding of of God knowing everything before it even happens. So God knows all choices that we'll do before it even happens. Thus, if I'm presented with a free will choice, it's free will, right? I can choose. Whatever, it's possible, potentially, for me to choose either way. Yet God exists at a later point in time where God already knows what happened. Thus, it's already set in stone, what, what am I going to choose? So if it's set in stone, what am I going to choose? Well, I don't really have free will. It's pre-programmed. It's, it's destiny. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's already been determined, predetermined. It's determinism. And if I can choose, well, then God doesn't know. So either way, this is a catch-22. These seem to be irreconcilable. These two realities, and we essentially believe both have to be true.
2: Could it be that, you know, we can choose, and God knows what we're going to choose?
0: Okay. So that's it.
1: No, there's, that there's, is? there's
3: no time or space in, in the God...
0: I think I agree with you.
1: <laughs>
0: um well, I want to like appreciate the question first. Like it's such a good question. Um and in fact, there is one Jewish response which to me is ins- I don't say insane, but it, it to me it's it's just remarkable that there that there is one Jewish attitude towards this question that says that God's knowledge is not complete. And God knows, but God knows in kind of a fuzzy, murky way. Okay. And that's we you have the, the choice to choose either Is way.
2: That what, well, how did Maimonides explain it? That's not how Maimonides explained it. All right, how did he explain it? Okay, so
0: I, what I want – I actually printed it out over here. i want to print it out, but I typed it out over here uh, because – and I want to just give a direct translation because he says things, and he seems to be answering the question, but he doesn't answer the question. But maybe does he or does he not? He says as follows. You should know – that the answer of this question, the answer to this question, is uh, broader than the entire world, uh, and uh, more vast than the ocean. And there's many important principles that you have to know, and high mountains you have to climb uh, in order to understand it. So he's telling you this is a very good question. I, I think it's 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 important for us to not realize not, not 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 to try to do away with the question, it's a simple question. It's a very good question.
2: Is this another, is, is this another way of him saying that
0: there is no answer to it? No, well let's let's see what he says. Let's move on here. Okay. Yeah. But you need to know and understand the thing I'm gonna tell you, which by the way, when the mind is you that preamble, like you <laughs> might you might want to turn on your, your mind. Okay. <laughs> We already established, and he quotes where established earlier, that the Almighty does not have any external knowledge. The knowledge is not external to him. Just like man. Right? Man and man's knowledge, man's understanding, man's, man's, man's conceptions are distinct, are different. How do we know that man and their understanding is different? Let's just zoom out here. How do we you know that you and your knowledge are not the same thing? We know that because you, ha- at one point in time, did not have that knowledge. For example, Mike and Ike's, the candy. Everyone here familiar with that candy, Mike and Ike's? Mm-hmm. You guys love those. It
1: looks
0: They're like these little chewy hot candies, tamales. hot tamales, that's right. Oh,
1: yeah, so good. I
0: read once, I read once that, the, that the center, the gooey part, the center, that's unflavored. Just the outside is flavored. Okay, you guys know that, right? Everyone ever knows that.
2: Take your word. Did you know
0: it today, earlier before you walked in here? No. No. Now you know it. So knowledge is something that we acquire in a time, you know, in a time lapse. Time changes. You encounter external knowledge, and now you have that knowledge. But that knowledge is not essential to who you are. Right? Okay, that makes a lot of sense. God doesn't have that same model. God and His knowledge is one. Okay. Now that idea so, um, continues with Maimonides. Uh, him and his knowledge is one, and for us to really understand that, it's it's a little bit hard. We cannot completely understand that idea. And just like we don't have, uh, we don't have the capacity to understand the reality of God. As it says, he quotes a verse. Um, So, too, we can't really understand the reality of God's knowledge. What he's, point number two that he's establishing is that we have other problems with the existence of God. How so? How does, we cannot imagine not existing in time and space. That's 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 not something that we are capable of really understanding. How can something exist outside of space? Try to define that for me. Do you have any definition for that? We don't have a definition for that. How could God exist before the Big Bang where there's no time and space? Well, how could God even today exist without time and space? How could you exist simultaneously today, yesterday, the day before, 1900? Is that possible for us to, to understand? Anyone? Does that make sense to anyone? Clearly? Just like we don't understand how God exists, we don't, essentially, we don't understand how God's knowledge works. Point number two. <laughs> what he's telling us also, by the way, that there's another question that we could have asked. And that is that if God does exist, how do we exist? How do we exist if God exists? Means he's broadening the subject. He's essentially telling us that okay, we exist. We're not God. I'm not God. None of you guys are God, right? So somebody just outside of God. Well, how does that work? How how is that not a limitation of God's total dominion over everything? He's telling us is that this. Conflict is more than just in a decision-making capacity, but in an essential uh, uh, reality capacity. The fact that we exist and we're not God flies in the face of God being in total dominion over everything. Well, we're not God, no. So how do we exist? How is something that's not God? Well, God,
2: God created us. So that's how we exist.
0: Okay, so but that's a certain limitation of God, right? What you say now that something that's not God. true, but we're not God. I wouldn't agree to that point. So there's something that's not God, so there's a limitation in God. Isn't so that so right? you're saying
2: God could, if God was all-powerful, he could make other gods.
0: No, I didn't say that. No, uh, but what I'm saying is that the reality of our existence seems to conflict with our definition of God, because our definition of God is not lacking anything. However, us not being God is a lack in God? Won't you say? No, no. no. really. Because if it's something that's not God, well, isn't that a lack? Isn't that a limitation?
2: I go back to my point. So just a the, yes. Ago, so if the limitation would be removed, and uh-huh. God could create other gods in His. image.
0: So you're saying if God desires that, it's not a limitation.
2: No, if God could do it, so we can all desire things we can't necessarily do them. Although God may have. So, God could make other gods like himself if he wanted to, I guess. Or are we getting off the the point? I'm
0: not. Well, well, I'm I'm just highlighting here a point that it seems like Maimonides is bringing out is that for us to really understand God essentially, we can't really do it because we're working in a different set of rules than what we have. So,
3: I'm trying to understand infinity. Uh,
0: That's right.
2: So I, I trying that's explain.
0: just another way of saying that I can't answer it. No, 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 no. no. That, that, with, that, that's the that's – the, that's the, I think that's a surface level understanding of what he's saying. He's saying, oh, it's beyond our, our – our, our, but I think he's, he's explaining to us why we can't understand it. It's
2: the same thing I mean, quotes, to to Job, isn't it, basically? Well,
0: Job kind of asked the same question. I just skipped well, that part. Job, okay. Job asked the same question. Okay.
2: Um, and I think God answered it the same way. my Connelly is <coughs> answering it, basically. Because didn't God tell Job, uh, basically, do you think you're so smart, you know, where were you when I created the world and established the dimensions mm-hmm. of you know whatever it was?" Yeah. You know, that was. It's a similar type of answer. It sounds. Like. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah, and because the same dialogue existed between God and Job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but continue. Let's just the last line here because we don't understand exactly how God knows things we have no capacity to understand how uh, God allows people to have free will but we know for sure without doubt that the, the actions of man are in the hands of man and the Almighty does not pull him or decree upon him to do any, uh, any which way and he says this is not acceptance on faith it's not because of faith rather we have evidence to, towards it I think what he's saying is like this. I think the fact that we have free will is independently demonstrable. That's something we, we, we even we even discussed about the implications of of the, of the other side. You know, if essentially if you believe that anyone is liable for anything that they do, you believe in free will, and we we all feel that innately. And we we have the evidence for God being in total. You know, in a totally different sphere where time doesn't exist, thus God exists beyond the scope of time. How they're compatible? Well, that we can only really answer if we're able to understand God's perspective. How is it possible that God knows something and doesn't, and still allows that? You know, but we are asking a question where where you know we're uh, we're uh, uh, creating a conflict between two. Different realities, two different models. Like we're asking a question from our perspective and, con- and contrasting that with God's perspective.
2: Okay. I think that my hypothesis, not that there's anything brilliant about it, but it doesn't conflict what I said a couple of minutes ago—that maybe God, uh, we have free will, but maybe—and maybe God knows what we're going to do. Uh, you know, uh, He knows what we're going to do. We have free will but god knows what we're going to choose uh you know yeah and, and so that doesn't conflict i don't think with what my maimonides says uh you know but that's essentially
0: what he's saying but he's telling us is that the fact no, no, that, i may
2: be wrong
0: we you know, or, the, the 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 linchpin of the problem here is the fact that god's knowledge is not similar to our knowledge what he's saying. God's knowledge right. Knowledge. right. I, I think because God's knowledge is existing outside of time. Okay. So the fact that we are bound to the constraints of time and God is not, it's thus God exists post facto. It's like saying, hey, um, we exist now, right? So we know the decisions we made yesterday, right? Does that necessarily mean that our actions yesterday were bound because we know that now that, that they did happen? I mean, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in uh, 1981, some guy tried to shoot uh, Reagan. We know that for sure. John Hinckley, right. John. Right, he tried to kill him, yeah. right. Um, we know that for sure. That's undeniable. Well, he didn't have free choice. For sure it happened, right? Well, no, it, he had free choice at that time. We're existing post facto, therefore, right now, you know. But at the time, he had choice. If God is existing outside of the time constraints, and we are in the time constraints, right? We should have free will, even though God knows uh, what the choices are going to be. But like I said, it's it's hard to really accept that because we're not used to thinking outside of the model that we exist we exist in. And therefore, if, you know, if, if God exists within time, there is no answer to the question. But I think He's hinting to the fact that. It's not just limited to our choice, but our existence at large, uh, in contrast with God's existence, is is the same problem, because we have parallel existences that are not playing by the same rules. You know, I, I think that another another way to ask this, like if you were to ask a scientist, someone who does not believe, not, not getting any religion or any theology involved, what happened five minutes before the big bang, just five minutes, you know, what's the answer to the question? Well. That's not a question you've ask, because you are – you're bringing two worlds uh, together and you're contrasting them when they don't have the same rules. So what existed before that was something that – there was no time. And if there's no time, you can't ask, what well, it was like five minutes before that. Well, but what do you mean? Why not? Just, an- just work the clock back. What well, was like five minutes before that.
2: There well, there another, was no clock then. Is, is there another implication that you're getting at by asking – by posing that? Yeah, my, my question Oof, is is is, it, is your point to the scientists who
0: who, who who threw the switch? No, that's not my point. My point, my only point, my only point was is that the question, the question is only valid if the if the rules, if the laws are consistent in both in both scenarios. However, if one world pre Big Bang does not have time. You cannot ask the, the question that we have today what was like, well, five minutes ago we were talking about free will. Or, the, you know, an hour, two hours ago I was driving my car. We could ask that, if somebody asked me, what were you doing two hours ago? I'll say, I was driving my car, right? But because the scenario has the element of time in it. You cannot ask what was like five minutes before the bed, because there was no such thing as time before that. So I, I think that, that this question uh, is. Contrast or the conflict is contrasting two realities that aren't playing by the same rules, and therefore we can't really answer the question.
2: That doesn't mean it's unfair. But we to have ask
0: to. The I, we did ask the question. We discussed it. I didn't say it's unfair to ask the question. But in the answer lies in the fact that these two realities are independently verifiable. Thus, we know it's true. How the compatible is an open question. But we know that we can't answer them because they're not playing by the same rules. You don't like it still. We're answering the question by saying we can answer the question. But but, but we're not not shying away. We're explaining why. Either way, yes, um, I know we went over time, and I apologize for going over time. Uh, But uh, I think that, uh, to me, this is a better answer than saying God's knowledge is incomplete. Because then what you're saying is God is playing by the same rules, and God does exist within time. And God's knowledge is not complete, which to me is a much greater question, and the implications are, are much greater. Uh, either way, um, that's that. So I think we kind of got a nice introduction to the discussions. Uh, Don't
3: they usually say that God's knowledge is infinite as opposed to incomplete? I think I've
0: heard that. Yeah, of course. Right, I said there is an opinion that does say that, so that to me that's a much very troubling opinion. It
2: says that there's an opinion that says God is not that's, that's right, to me, which is, which is very that's, troubling. That's not necessarily the gospel. That's just
0: it's one opinion, and it's a Jewish opinion, but it's, it's a very troubling okay. one. Uh, so okay. next
4: next class is, what are we working towards, a de- just so you know, a detailed examination <laughs> of the Messianic?